Hello and welcome back to Comeback. As usual, I am your host Connor, and as you are aware by now, Comeback is a place where I interview people from Saigon, Vietnam, and also around the world about people's stories, journeys, experiences, backgrounds, and much more. And today I'm delighted to welcome my guest from Australia. It is Nathan Willis, who is here in Saigon, Vietnam, working as a tennis coach, where we will discuss sport, tennis, his background experiences, Vietnam, and more. Welcome, Nathan. How are you doing, man? Am I good? Yeah, nice to be here. First ever podcast, right? Yeah. 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 How are you feeling? Looking forward to it? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. It's, uh, yeah, don't know. Yeah, it's a new experience. It is, it's it's very different. Yeah, and also, like, new experiences can be moving abroad. Now, I kind of looked at your profile before I came here. Sure. So, I'm aware you've been in Saigon for quite a while, is that correct? Uh, I've been here for a year. Okay. One year, but I used to live here eight years ago. Right, okay, Um, But my brother lives here, and he's been here for eight nine years now yeah sweet on and off uh, my dad lives in cambodia and uh, my wife is from well she's american Viet- she's vietq she's american vietnamese but sure. um, so yeah sort of vietnam kind of called you in yeah it's kind <laughs> of it's kind of a second home uh i wouldn't really consider australia home anymore to be honest there's mm. not there's no family there it's it's all of, all of my family's in asia now so right how long did you how long ago did you leave home and is in australia yeah australia i left home um so i stopped playing AT, uh, on the ATP circuit at 22 and so I stayed around for about a year six months to a year after that and then I moved here for a year and then I moved uh, I went to America for a little bit and then went back to Australia for a little bit but then I went to Hong Kong for the last six six and a half years right okay yeah. this is strange because Hong Kong I've not heard too much about from expats usually right expats based in Saigon they can tell me they've lived in Thailand or Korea sure. but not too many Hong Kong like, yeah. just what was your experience like there um, well I mean like the, the the goal was to get close to the family and um, but I didn't want to um, go back to Saigon at that point um, so I, went, I knew I wanted to be in Asia but I didn't know where and um, it just so happens that I got a really good job offer in Hong Kong and Hong Kong is probably one of the best places in the world to coach as an employee. And so, yeah, I got a job offer and I was looking between Hong Kong and Dubai and Singapore. And I chose Hong Kong. So, right, sweet. Yeah. How can you describe like life in Hong Kong? I've heard it's quite full on. It's quick. It's fast paced. It's very different to here. Here is, it's, here is very like slow and then explosions. Like slow, but Hong Kong is nonstop all the time. Right. And, um, you know, in the tennis world it's you know it's it's more relaxed but you're doing you're doing more hours than you ever thought you would like generally it's thought of as like tennis is a very tough tennis coaching is a very tough job because like obviously you're in the sun you're playing tennis you're physical all the time and so a lot of people uh think that like 20 25 hours is like a lot right and you don't want to do more than that but in hong kong we're doing 50 55 like and yeah it's brutal brutal work but yeah that's Queen. insane, man. Yeah, <laughs> twenty twenty five hours in like the baking heat as well. Yeah, yeah. The 20, 20 I do I do twenty five thirty here, mm. and I did fifty in Hong Kong, but I find it harder here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How come you find it harder here? I'm curious. It's something to do with the heat, mate. I don't know. Mm. It's like, it's just so brutal here. Like, you know, I've had a heat stroke three times, and I've never had it before. And then, 
yeah for some reason vietnam is just it's crushing weather yeah crushing definitely. yeah yeah i feel like if you go up to the north as well like hanoi during the summertime it's even worse it's is it sticky it's humid right. it's it's vile to be honest really with you. yeah but i'm guessing yeah. it gets the cooler seasons cooler it does right. yeah it's really cold actually when right you go in december to february it's freezing yeah yeah that's a nice change though like yeah true that's, that's the one thing that like i enjoyed about hong kong they they had at least two three months where it was nice and cool mm-hmm and uh, something to look for is like a bit of reprieve, right? And yeah. then, um, but here, you don't really get, you get what, a month of 20 degrees? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then it's, yeah. it's pretty brutal for the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering about tennis uh. because that's like your profession, your career. Mm. When did you begin playing tennis yourself? Is this something you did from a young age? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, a le- um, I was late to it. I started at 10, which is considered late. Yeah. You know, most, most players that want to be pro, they start at like, you know, four, five, six. Um, and, uh, but I, I was drawn to it at 10. I did all these other sports before that. But tennis was the one that like really got me excited. And so luckily my parents and my brother was also playing and they were very supportive. So um, yeah, so I started then and I played, I've played ever since. Yeah. What was it about tennis you think that appealed to you rather than say cricket or rugby or? Um, I, I think that there's a genetic component. I think that everybody has a genetic expression of some sort that draws them to certain things and while most sports i was drawn to most sports none of them had that extra that x factor for me um but when it came to tennis i think that there was definitely a genetic expression of some sort that drew me to it and uh that maybe that was to do with the obviously there was the one-on-one battle and i was a very very um solitary kid uh like i like to not so much be by myself but I wanted to figure things out for myself. Um, so I like chess as well. Um, never liked team sports. I could never get into team sports. So I guess it was the the gladiator-esque one-on-one battle of it, where it's all on you and it's all on nothing. Um, yeah, I was, I was pretty selfish as mm-hmm. a kid. So I think that can actually be a positive, where yeah. if you're in a team sport environment, if there's someone else not pulling their weight or not yeah. on the level of you or you're not on that level, there can be that friction and yeah. chaos. Yeah, you need to have this, like a sync mm-hmm. like, with, the, with your, with your, uh, with your uh, comrades. But yeah, I don't know. Tennis is all you, right? Like it's all you. And uh, like, uh, I'm, uh, like even though whenever I have kids, I'm definitely going to put them in tennis because nice. not, not, to, not to force them or anything, just because of all the, the lessons you can get from it. Yeah. I think. What are the main lessons that you've got over, I suppose, your career to date now? Probably discipline. Discipline. Probably discipline. Yeah, discipline, um, hard work, and, um, you know, figuring out another way, right? Like, if you, if you have a problem, wherever it is, a setback somewhere, you can always figure out another way to look at it, and then come at it from another angle, and then use the discipline and the hard work aspects that you built up as well to sort of tackle it. Yeah. So it's it's always it's it's helped me drastically with adversity, I'd say. Yeah. Sure. Are you able to, if you don't mind me asking, give any perhaps examples of when you faced adversity? Say personally, this sure. could be with a job or moving country or anything. Yeah. And where lessons from tennis have really held you in good stead? Yeah. I mean, I guess um, there there's there's one that comes to mind. Uh, I was I was in like a really bad relationship um and it was you know it was it was bad like it was bad it was to the point where uh you know they got physical and uh and so i tried to you know smile and 
go through the motions and stuff like that. But, you know, getting out of it was actually dangerous. So um, what, what I think tennis helped me with was definitely sort of look at it from a tactical point of view um, instead of like just reacting all the time, like especially in that environment when mm. you're emotional and flaring, it's, it's very easy to react. So I think that tennis um, sort of allowed me to think of it more strategically, more tactically, like how am I going to get out of this, like uh, move myself from this situation? Because mm. if I don't, then um, I could be in deep doo-doo. Did so, do do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. yeah. No, I'm certainly glad you were able to yeah. use tennis to get through that. Mm. It's also it is individual. It's an individual sport and yeah. there is that all on you. But you also have to deal with yourself as well. Sure. So it's a strange one where you're almost competing against others, but you're yep. also in a way competing against Well, yourself. you're mainly competing against yourself. Mm. It's you're not really you're not really ever I mean if you're a good tennis player, you're not really ever competing against anyone else. It's only you. Um the only time that it comes it, when that you come you compete against somebody else is, you know, maybe when it comes to like some tactics, maybe mm. they have a stronger forehand, whatever it is, like something very small. But in the mental side of things, it's all you. It's all you. You have to be able to be aware of your emotions at, at certain moments. You have to be aware of uh, where your mind is. Are you focusing? Are you out of focus? It's yeah. It's all about it's all about you. But then it's also a, it's a delicate act mm. because if you become too self-absorbed, then you're not in the game. So you've got to you've got to have this balance between controlling yourself, being you know very uh, regulate your emotions well, regulate your thoughts and your negativity well, but then also be in the game, which doesn't necessarily mean the opponent. It means the ball. It means mm, the court, where yeah. you are in the court. It means focus. Mm. Yeah. How much do you think about the opponent, if at all? If, um, you if you're good or bad. Um, if you're good. If you're good, you don't think about the opponent at all. Right. You okay. shouldn't. You shouldn't at all. Um, it should be like before you go into the match, you have a game plan, and then you try to execute the game plan. That's, and that's about it. The only time that you ever look at the opponent and sort of look at them is if they, if you want to read their body language, like maybe what you're doing is working really well, and you can see them them getting negative, and that gives you a bit of a, a boost. A boost, yeah. Um, and also vice versa, but then you want to try and block that out. If they're getting like really like, you know, some momentum and positive, you want to like try and like, okay, I don't want to see that. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, no, very, very, very rarely. You're not, you're not, you're not looking at them. You're looking at the ball mm. and then you're sort of using your peripherals to see where the opponent is. But. And coming under the theme of let's say emotional regulation sure. and working on yourself. Do you have any kind of routine or rituals that you do to get yeah. yourself in the mindset? Yeah, so I'm I'm by nature very emotional. Like I've got a, a definite tendency to be emotional. I think that's just because I'm, I'm intuitive, and I think they sort of go they coincide with each other. So I found that the biggest benefit for me is really intense exercise and meditation. And so I meditate every morning when I wake up. I do a bit of journaling. And then, um, and then I make sure that I'm working out at least four or five times a week, like pretty hard. So yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, say also if you get into say the competitive environment, so you're about to do a contest or you're about to coach someone, is there anything you do before the game? Like not to be superstitious, but is sure. There anything? Yeah, um, I have to go back in my memory bank. It's been a <laughs> while. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's not so much what you do beforehand. It's it's very preferential. Um, some people need to make sure that they they have a, they have like a strict ritual, right? Some people um, are superstitious. Some people just don't do anything at all. They just they're very relaxed, like very low emotion. Like generally low emotion people do better at tennis. Um, 
but the, but what I would do, <clears throat> but but I'd say generally, it's more about what you've done in the months past. So like if you've done all the work, you've done all the right things, you sort of have that confidence going into the match. Mm. Um, but in, in terms of like, apart from like maybe making checking, making sure that your, your gear is in yeah, check. Yeah. Apart from that, like there's yeah, you've already done the hard work. You've already done yeah. everything, and you just want to make sure that you don't fuck it up with like <laughs> you know forgetting a grip or something. You know? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I'm wondering in the months or let's say weeks leading up to it. So when you're doing your training, yeah. either now for your job or when you were like competing. Yeah, what sort of things are you are you quite hard on yourself? Are you quite lenient? How would you describe? I suppose your thought process on yourself and your own journey and your own game going into the, co- the tournament that you're about to lead up to? Uh, you mean like how well I did it, do you think? Um, yeah, as in like how are you giving yourself feedback or how are you taking feedback from say your immediate circle? Oh, right. Um, I don't know. I think I think that I didn't, I didn't do it well. I, I think that um, definitely could have done it better. And... Uh, that when you talk about feedback, then that, that sort of goes into a conversation of like, who do you have around you, mm. right? And so, you know, some, some people have like a really good core group, maybe their family is very supportive or, you know, they're, they're in a group of friends that all play tennis, they travel together or they, ha- or they have the money to be able to have a coach with them all the time. And so, uh, but with me, for most of it, I was, I was sort of a nomad, I was sort of like a loner. Like, um, yeah, I had tennis friends and I had coaches here and there, but we never had enough money to sort of bring them along. So, um, in terms of the feedback, you know, I, it was a bit, it was a bit mixed. Um, like my, my brother was always very supportive, but also very critical. Uh, but my father, you know, he was, he, he comes from a background of no sport. So he doesn't, he didn't understand the nature of competition. And so he would basically live his ego through me. Mm-hmm. So if I won, he won. If I lost, he lost kind of thing. And so that, that didn't help at all. And then, you know, depending on the coach I had at the time, I would do, you know, it'd be better or worse or different, yeah. Yeah. Is there an element of pressure in that if you're, like, living through someone? Oh, f- absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Huge amount of pressure. Uh, and, like, when you're young, you don't know what to do with that. Of course. Yeah, it's it's yeah, a bit yeah. tricky, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering here, I ask almost every guest this because yeah. I'm interested in how it works introversion versus extroversion sure. where do you think you stand middle 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 but it's changed as I've gone I've aged so like um, I definitely used to be an extrovert before um, but an awkward extrovert like just I I wouldn't I didn't like I, I was I wanted to talk to people and get energy from people but I didn't know how to do it well yeah same <laughs> yeah, yeah but uh, but then as I started getting older um, I've definitely turned into more of an ambivert like just sort of in the middle yeah for like, sure um, and you know I think it's just a thing that something comes with age possibly yeah. how old do you know let me ask you 32 32 okay so yeah. you've had the kind of development then from playing properly and then getting into the teaching yeah and I do want to talk about that transition but before, first just because we're talking about tennis players having to keep calm and like regulate their emotions Kyrgios is standing out in my mind yeah. because there's the whole thing about him in the summer and he's yeah. had like all the headlines what mm. do you think of Kyrgios I'll just um, I, I like the guy mm. I do like the guy uh, I, I, before I didn't know what to think of him but then also we had Tomic before Kyrgios and Tomic set the bar really high of how to be a douche <laughs> so like compared to Tomic he's, he's, he's good and he's actually, he's actually quite charismatic he's got a bit of a head on his shoulders um, 
and he's actually seeing an arc with him you know like mm-hmm. he, he's a dick and then he's he's been emotional and a brat and like you know um uh just all over the place but now you see him sort of becoming a bit more calmer yeah He's he's being able. He's talking more clearly. He still he still has all those bad traits. Still has his moments. Still has his moments, but he's definitely better. He's definitely trying, and I think that's what I respect. I respect the attempt. Um, A lot of people that get into this situation, um, especially if they're you know douchebags, regardless of why they are. Like I think that uh, Kyrgios did it because he's insecure. Mm. Uh, But now he's got you know a long term girlfriend and all these things. Yeah, I think a stronger core group around him that maybe he's, he's given a space that that's allowing him to be less of that but regardless of who you are it's, it's really hard and so when someone attempts to tra- change and you see that like you can't help but respect Give that some admiration yeah sure yeah and from your personal experience you'll know how tough it is in that environment yeah absolutely yeah. like it's very easy for yeah. me to sit on my sofa and go oh he sh- should have more class like, yeah no 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 get like, in that arena. honestly the the surprising thing is that more players don't do it Right, that's the surprising thing is like because when you're when you when everyone sees a highlight and they see like a you know any player talking to the umpire, and like yeah a, like just a normal you know viewer would just be like oh you know, come on mate get on with it it's like you have no idea the pressure like they're literally like chemically in their body they're fighting a tiger like everything is on full alert right like their their adre- adrenaline levels are through the roof and you know you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So. Absolutely. Can you talk to me about your transition from playing into coaching? Like, when did that all begin? And do you mind just telling me a bit more? Um, well, it was kind of just it was nat- just a natural transition. I think most most tennis players, uh, especially if you're a tennis player that you know you didn't go to university or anything, because like I left early to play tennis, so I um, I left in grade end of grade ten. I don't think I finished grade ten. How old's that? Like fifteen. Yeah, 15, yeah, okay. 16. So I, started, so I joined a full, full uh, like a day program for tennis. And um, so it really depends on that. But like if you generally a lot of players that play at a decent to high level, um, they, it's the natural step just to go into coaching. Because coaching, depending on what job you get, it's, it, it's good money, right? Like it's like, why would I go to university to make the same money but waste four years of making money, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but... The trans yeah so the transition was quite natural, uh, but it was difficult because like, you know you, you, your identity changes. So like from you know if you played tennis for thirteen years and you you know you see yourself like when you meet somebody you're like uh, what do you do? It's like I'm a pro tennis player, right? That's who you are. And then you know two years later you're coaching. It's like what do you do? It's like I'm a tennis coach. You know it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very different transition. So it was tough. I think it's tough for every player mentally to go through that transition. Because um, I think that every every coach, even <laughs> till their dying day, they still think they're a player. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was natural. But then at some point uh, along the line, probably the first three four years of like proper coaching, not like uh, you know, not just like coaching while I was playing, like yeah. proper coaching. Um, you do start to, depending on how good you are and how much effort you put in, you do start to enjoy some of the aspects of it, like, you know, seeing someone improve and then them being grateful to you and, you know, saying not really nice words of appreciation and stuff like that. And that, that, that makes you like it. And then you see some kids that really are inspired by tennis and they're like, they really want to, you know, so that they become like super easy lessons because they just love it. Um, so now it's kind of like, I, I am enjoying coaching now way more than I ever did. 
um, primarily because it's my own company now, which like means I can choose my hours, choose my clients, stuff like that. Um, but also there's the factor of, uh, I, I can't be doing this forever because it's just, it's, it's too dangerous. Like in the sun, you know, four or five hours a day. Like I've seen, I've seen too many coaches get cancers cut out of their necks and noses and stuff. Like most players, over, most coaches over 40 have had to get something cut out. Right, I see. So I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm sort of setting a, setting a goal to get off the court maybe in two, three years. Right, cool. Yeah, yeah I never actually, I'll just give you some context. Sure. I don't know an enormous amount about tennis or coaching or mm. the whole side, which is why I was interested in a conversation. Sure. But I wouldn't have thought about that, bizarrely, the whole the yeah. weather conditions. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you're saying to me, it's obvious. Mm. And I think, of course. But yeah. up until this conversation, I wouldn't have thought of yeah. that aspect. Yeah, no, like, it's something you don't think about until, like, you start seeing, you know, like, my one of my bosses before, you know, he missed, he had to miss a few days of work. And I was like, where'd you go? And, like, he's got this massive, like, Oh, it was his neck. He got this massive like bandage around his neck, and he's like, "Yeah, I have to get it cut out like urgently because Jesus. it was, it was, it looked, it was, it was um, dormant or it was benign before, mm. but then like next last time I went, he's like, "Yeah, it's malignant. You gotta get it out." So, and he's he, he was forty five, so like it's just it's always there. But then also the other the other aspect is like it's brutal, mate. Like my joints are starting to hurt, my back sore every mm. morning, like everything hurts all the time. And so if I don't have like a proper stretching routine, like, yeah, it takes its... It takes its toll. Yeah, big time. Massively. Yeah. What is it like, the tennis scene in Asia? I know that's broad, but obviously it's yeah. hugely popular in the States, in America, in Australia yeah. with the Opens, but I'm not too sure about the Asia circuit. Do you mind telling me more? Um, so basically the quality of tennis is sort of where the money is, unfortunately. So Japan, South Korea, they're doing okay. Um, China is starting to get a few players. Um, Taiwan has a couple but Southeast Asia is yet to crack anything like they yet to go through and, and, and one of the problems is because they reward the really good let's say like, if we talk about Vietnam they reward some of the really good Vietnamese players who, who, who have a chance way too early so like there's, there's players that you know are millionaires here there's a couple of millionaire tennis players in Vietnam what, why would they go out and try to make something of themselves in, on the world circuit? Like, there's just no point because they've already made it. Mm. And so I, I know this is the case for Vietnam, but um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about the other ones. I'm not too sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That is an interesting where if you give someone everything too early, suddenly, yeah. of course, you yeah, get yeah, yeah. motivation. Yeah. 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 So, like, they, yeah, Vietnam, they kind of see tennis separate from the world. Like there's Vietnam, Vietnamese tennis, and then there's obviously the world tennis. Right. So they know the world tennis exists, but in their mind, Vietnam tennis is like if you're number one in Vietnam tennis, you're number one in the world. Right. I see. That's, that's the yeah. kind of sort of way they see it. The way they see it. That's another yeah. fact that surprised me. Again, yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. So we've yeah. had that. We've had the constant sun exposure being dangerous. Yeah. Anything else that might surprise us about a kind of a career in tennis, or anything that surprised you that might surprise us or myself? Um, on the spot, uh, I'm not sure, but I'm sure if the conversation keeps going, <laughs> there'll be a few more things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't really think on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, because that's something that maybe you find surprising, I don't, right? Yeah, true, yeah. true, of course, yeah. yeah. If you've been immersed in it your whole life, or yeah. since the age of 10, then yeah. it's just second nature, but yeah. me as a novice is like, really, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like when just I, depends. sometimes when I find, like, when I meet somebody who, like, creates like the corners of boxes and stuff. I'm like, oh, there are people that do that. 
I'm like, because it's something you take for, for granted yeah. your whole life, and then you're like, oh, of course someone has to do that. Like, yeah, you know? it kind of hits in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to me about, like, I suppose, once you transition into coaching, what your coaching style would be? I know that might be quite sure. Broad, no, 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 that's, that's, yeah. a, that's easy. Um, so, my style is very much based on the client. So, my, I, have, I have many styles, and I, it changes based on the client. Um, because, essentially, like, I'm a tennis coach, but... The funny, the funny thing of it is that I'm also kind of a therapist. A lot of people that play, especially the adults that play with me, a lot of them use it as therapy. And so there's a lot of talking and there's, there's, they use it, they need to make sure that they're doing it for enjoyment. They also want to get better, obviously, but um, so based on that, some people want to, you know, some people want to talk more, some people want to hit more, some people need you to be quiet because they need to figure it out themselves. If you talk to them too much, they, they'll get annoyed. Um, some, some people just, they just want to just bash the ball as hard as they can, like a, like the, like a boxing bag almost, right? Um, but yeah, I'd say it, it changes. It varies, it varies different uh, wildly compared to, depending on the, on the client. But I'd say if I was to choose one aspect, it, I would say that it's uh, technical. So I work on the technical side a lot mm. um, because the problem what, what happens is a lot of players they play tennis right and you know they move around especially if you're, you're you're in a transient city like Vietnam maybe you're here for three years you're there for three years so you're, you're having coaches here there everywhere right each coach has a different coaching style and your technique during this process is getting contorted and manipulated to the point where your technique not only might be um, Obviously, you're not getting quality shot, like tennis shots out of it, but it might be hurting you. Like uh, the, one of the biggest uh, reasons why just general players get injured is because they have bad technique. So they might hit the ball late or maybe like they're too stiff and so their arm takes all the vibration. Um, and so not only that, they hit a ceiling. So if you have bad technique, you can only get so good. You, to get to the next level, sometimes you need you need to completely change your technique to get there. Otherwise, you otherwise you always hit the ceiling. So I think technique is super super important, uh, but it's also one of the hardest things to change because yeah, it's like because you have to turn like you have to you have to trust your coach to do to change you, which feels really uncomfortable, and then that needs to become natural. So it's a lot of work. It's a mm. lot of theory. Subconscious reprogramming. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It takes a lot of time, and it, but it takes trust in the beginning, and that's why I need to make sure that the clients are on my side first. Yeah, yeah. and now we've touched upon that, the yeah. trust. What makes a good coach to you? Like, what are some key traits that make a good coach and separate them from the, the average, let's say, or the not so good? Yeah, just caring. <laughs> Honestly, just caring, because... Um, and I'm guilty, I'm guilty of this. When I was doing 50 hours in Hong Kong, like, you know, you can't care about every lesson. You have to tank a few, and and then also your your baseline's low because you're so tired all the time. But like one of the biggest issues with a lot of coaches is that they just don't put any energy into it. Um, but the problem with players is that if you're a low level player, you have no idea, right? Because you, your reference point doesn't exist, right? You haven't had like a good, really good coach that's like super energetic, like you know, um, really puts a lot of energy into you. Um, and like ask you about your goals, ask you about, you know, um, like realistic expectations, like things like this. And um, 
Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's number one. It's just it's just, just being, yeah, caring, uh, just being engaged. Um, but then on a technical level, I think that a lot of players, uh, the the other number one, sorry, the other number one is communication. Communication. That's that's definitely like that might be bigger than the the uh, engagement, because if you're able to communicate these ideas, some of them are complex. If you can't communicate that, or you you don't understand that they need to understand it a certain way. Like you're saying it your way, the way that you always say it, but they're not getting it, but you're going to keep saying it anyway. It's like, it's not a great experience for them. Mm-hmm. But when you say it in such a way that they understand, they get it, they click, and then they able, they're able to do it, then that's a massive change for them. And then they're, they're like, they're super happy about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that can be quite tough. Say if your own personal playing style was different to your client's playing style and having to switch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, But you know, you play when you, when you have your playing style, you obviously play against a lot of other playing styles. Yeah. Um, and there is, even though there is a wide, there is a range of play styles, it is very, it very much does come into like a filter where there is like a mainstream. Like if you're too far out of that mainstream in terms of technique or movement or whatever it is, then it just, you're not, you're not giving yourself the best chance. Um, so like there is the right way. There is the right way to do things to give them the best chance. You can't be too outside of the box or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, I think, is does it go back to, in some cases, just keeping things simple yeah. rather than trying to be like a Churchillian style leader, just simply relaying your message? Yeah, it's, it's it, it, it does come back to who they are um, and, and the way they understand things. But yeah, I mean, like generally, like I'd say women, they need to, it needs to be like, and this is not an insult or anything, but they do rather it simple. They want they want to feel it more, right? They want to feel the ball more. They the more you tell them, like you go do this, you go do this, you go do this, hate it, right? Hate hate it for the majority. But then I've had I've had a couple guys who like they need the deep down technical analysis, like they need like the step by step broken down completely what it is before they understand it because they need to understand it themselves before they can even start to put it in play yeah. and I'm not saying that either one's the right way it's just that you can't bypass that you can't you can't make somebody understand something in a way that they can't understand it right yeah, exactly um, so and then yeah it's just it's different but I'd say I'd say generally um, uh, yeah generally the sorry I forgot the question primary rules of communication and yeah. Communication was the main one, and also, yeah. yeah, making sure that you explain it in a way that they understand, yeah, and that you care about them. So yeah, you yeah, have that yeah, kind yeah, of energy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What sort of thing do you have beforehand? Like, do you have a prior consultation, or do you have a trial period to know that you're working with, say, a client that will be an effective partnership for both of you? You know, if it works. No. Oh, you don't no. have that. No, okay. no, no, no. I don't. I don't have that because I, I, I'm just like, if if they're interested in coaching, um, I, I've, I've been doing it for long enough, and I've had. A, I think I've had enough, diff- like enough of a range of different people, that I'm not worried about the synergy, and I'm not worried about the hard client too much because I can always I can always move myself in a way that they like even if they're tough and we and we let's say getting beers will never work right. Me and this person will never be able to get a beer. Right, but like on a court, I know I just I know I and I get more excitement out of figuring that out. 
Mm. Like, okay, you're, you're a tough client, but we're going to figure this out. Like, how am I going to make you enjoy this, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I don't really, for t- at least for tennis, I don't really believe in the consultation. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That ability to be adaptable yeah. like in kind of all quarters. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's business. Yeah. You, you know, so it's not like, yeah, it's not like a hobby or something like that, right? Mm. Um, you know. Yeah. That's interesting though, because it is a business, but it was also like your hobby mm. and also like your passion. And mm. you're combining the two. Yeah. Now I know there's a lot of quotes about find something you love and you'll never work sure. a day and all of that. Yeah, it's but, bullshit. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you <laughs> that. Yeah, bullshit. Because, because if you combine the two, it, yeah. you know, I think it can take away the fun. Yeah, absolutely. Pe- yeah. People don't want to hear that, but. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you start making money, you, you, you so as soon as you start making money, you now have responsibility. As soon as you have responsibility, it's not passionate. It's not. It's not like a super fun. It's not that it's not passionate. It's passionate, but also there's responsibility. So it's not the same as it used to be. But um, yeah, I think that for me, uh, there was a obviously tennis was the passion, and that what that's why the, the transition was tough from coach uh, from playing to coaching was because it wasn't a passion anymore. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't the same enjoyment, and so I had to shift where I got the enjoyment from. And the enjoyment was from the problem, figuring out the problem, like solving the problem. Okay, this person has come to me, they have this problem, this, 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 this. Can I solve it? So it's kind of in my own way, it's my own little battle with myself again, but yeah. in, a, in a different way, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because a lot of those quotes, I, I would think, are not to be cynical. Like once you have that responsibility, it's a different layer, yeah. it's a different environment, and it's not all like roses that yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of perceived yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To care, like we mentioned earlier, and to keep doing it, there has to be some kind of motivation from yeah. a business perspective, from personal, whatever it is. Yeah. Can I ask you, what is your motivation to keep doing the work you do? Um, well, obviously there is the, the financial aspect of it. Um, it is my primary job at the moment. Um, but. The other motivation is like, it, it. The other motivation sort of is part of tennis, but it's part of a greater whole of why I'm here. Is the the lack of service, and so I do get um, ignited by knowing that I'm providing good service, and that that motivates me because I know that I'm doing better than others. Right, I'm providing a service that is better than others, and that's that feels good. Um, and that's kind of like the you know the main reason why I'm here is because I saw that there was an opening, um, and especially in the sports and recreation industry, so like and and fitness as well. Mm. There's you know there's all these facilities everywhere, but there's massive lack of services, like high quality services. I'm not, I'm not talking about importing expats and kicking everyone out. It's more like there needs to be training. Mm. There needs to be a shift in consciousness somehow um, and I mean like if you look at like just like take look at Estella right Estella has two tennis courts a massive pool or two pools and if you if you're taking all of Estella it has three tennis courts and like three pools and it has like two really nice gyms like nice but the there's no central platform or there's no central service platform so there's no coaches on site that are trained, that are there at all times, that a play, that like a resident can come to, and say, "I want to, I want a lesson. I want to, I want to get fitter." Da, da, da. And here, it's like, here you go. This this person has this is their qualifications. This yeah. is this and that. They have to phone a friend. They have to go. Do you know someone? You have to go on Facebook. You have to go on Google. Like, can I bring? And then you have to bring them in, and then you have to like arrange it. You know, 
And so all the responsibilities on the residents or the, the yeah. clientele, instead of it being a centralized platform, which is to me is like baffling. Because if you're early on in your journey, you don't want to, you want as least resistance as possible. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and also like if you're taking out of the account, like uh, take out like what the client wants, which is to get fit or get better at tennis, you just look at a pure convenience. It's just, it's just, it makes sense, right? Like, and it's something that I just don't, I, I, one, I don't understand why it doesn't exist here. And two, um, I, I just know that like once it does exist, does exist, it's just going to be the norm, yeah. right? Cause I, you know, I come from, I was in Hong Kong for six years and that's how everything was done there. And you know, it, you don't question it cause it runs so smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it must be like slightly frustrating then coming to a country like Vietnam and not having that kind of yeah. convenience in place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well that's, that's, that's sort of, uh, when I say like, I don't want to be on the court for too much longer. I want to move to more of a managerial role mm. and sort of try to implement these, these, this business model in, in place of what's, what's, what exists now. Right. I see. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of things will you focus on? I suppose, will it be convenience? Will it be service? What Bo- sort of both. It'll be, it, you have to try to do everything right. Like mm. quality service, convenience right like it otherwise it won't work it has to be all of it um but yeah like just taking note of all the facilities um and then providing the service where it's necessary mm. you know obviously obviously the price of that has to be you know within the range of what people are willing to accept but um yeah it's just that it's just service good service requires more more respect like it deserves more respect it deserves more attention mm. and right now i feel like there's just not enough of it it's just kind of lacking a little bit and to add an extra layer there if there was somebody considering coming to vietnam mm. and getting involved in let's say the sports and recreation industry yeah. and kickstarting their own platform tennis or otherwise yeah what sort of advice would you give them based on your experiences of what should they be aware of um you will definitely have setbacks like 100 percent. you're going to have setbacks especially in a place like vietnam because it's so against what you know like if you're a westerner and you come to vietnam and you're like i'm going to do xyz and this is then then i'm going to get the result it's like no 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 like if you really you're not you're going to get you're going to get hit like so many times and then if you can take it you're going to get some good information um, but one of the good things, that's one of the negative things that happens. One of the good things here is that you can pivot. Like it's a great place to pivot because you know, you can, you can make not, not too much money and still survive and have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So you can still do a lot of things. And if you get this good information, it might tell you that your original idea was, is not going to work. But because you've already done the work to try on the way to that original idea, you can now pivot and go somewhere else with it. Exactly. And then pivot, go somewhere else with it. You're gonna keep hitting walls, but like you, you, you will find a way. Find a way I, around. I, and I believe that, especially in Vietnam, so much opportunity here. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but you just need to figure out where it is. Definitely. Yeah. This is coming towards the end of the conversation, and the next question is quite subjective, and it's related to success. Sure. Now this differs from person to person, from business to sport, from personal life. What does success mean to you? Let's say from a business perspective. Um, I think that I don't think it's money. I think money is the is a reaction to it. I think that it's, it's, it's kind of going on what I was saying before is, is what are you providing and 
how how much feedback and how much appreciation you're getting for what what you what, what you are providing. And the more you do that, the more you the more you're able to reach more people with that. Um, money is just a symptom of it, you know. Mm. I don't think it's being rich or anything like that. I think it's just like, are you providing whatever it is, service or you know, a product or whatever it is. Is is are you providing something that is genuinely good, genuinely helping people, and uh, you know changing the culture in some way? Absolutely. Before we get to the final question, which is which is what you've alluded to about say future goals, has there been a question that I have not asked you that you would have liked me to, but I didn't, or you expected me to and I didn't? Um. I think maybe uh, maybe more like uh, maybe something to do with more what was what it was like playing on the tour. Mm, that would like, be interesting. That actually, yeah, yeah, like the the behind the scenes of tennis. Mm. Um, that's probably one that maybe I was expecting. Yeah. Sure. What was it like behind <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes of yeah. the ATP tour? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess it just goes it goes on that sort of you know when you asked me at the start like when it's like what what things have has tennis given you? Yeah. It's not that tennis has given me that's the journey of tennis. What tennis has given me, like the you know on the tour, because like unless you you're, you're very well off and you're wealthy, like it's it's tough, right? Like you have to save money and then you have to travel. You have to travel to make it. You have to go to different countries, uh, play, and then like you know if you lose first round or whatever, you wait around for a week and go to the next place. You have to eat Vegemite sandwiches. You have to live it live in a dorm with 12 other tennis players because they're all struggling as well. Um, and basically like, you know, you might go away for two months and, and get no results and it's just been a waste of money. And then you're starting from zero again. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how it is. But um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's hard. Yeah. Would you change any of it when you look back? Mm, no, I don't think so. Cause I'm pretty comfortable with who I am at the moment. And, if that if I'm comfortable with who I am, then changing it means that I'm not who I am. Yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like the fact that's the answer. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Final question. We've alluded to it, yeah. but if we had this conversation in a year from now, sure. so let's say October 2023, yeah. and I say, "Hey Nathan, what's up? What have you been up to the last year? What would you like to be telling me?" Um, I would like to say that uh, that. My company TFL um, has acquired some property management deals. So meaning that we get the rights to the facilities to arrange services for uh, residents. Residents, um, at least one. That would be great. Um, I getting my dad over here. That'd be another one that would be really great because we're having trouble getting a visa for him because it's tricky at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my wife, we just started an events company as well. And so like, if that's generating some decent revenue, that would be great. Um, and I've got, I've got another sort of pet project, like uh, more of a hobby, sure. which is called Archetype Challenge, which is, which is more lifestyle based sure. um, thing, but, but that's a whole other conversation. But if that's going well and there's any kind of traction, not monetarily, just any kind of traction, that'd be great. Nice yeah. one. Really enjoyed this, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, I've man. Learned quite a lot. Really Cheers. enjoyed, and you're Great. welcome back for any kind of tennis or passion project. Sure. Or, no, you, yeah. you're 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 good. You're good at the asking questions. It's um, yeah. I was I was surprised. <laughs> nice yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. No worries.